Thank you, Barbara and David and Esther. A few minutes ago, you heard uh, Chuck read from 1 Timothy 2 about um, our role as uh, Christian soldiers. When I was uh, growing up down in Anniston uh, every year for Bible school, we marched into, we called it the auditorium, not the sanctuary. We marched into the auditorium to um, the same song every day, every year. Does anybody know, want to guess what that song was? Just yell it out. Onward Christian Soldiers. That's the way Bible, God intended Bible school to begin. We know that. Now, Shelley, they come in with all these newfangled fun songs and... It was a big deal. We always came in with the Bible and uh, the Christian flag and the American flag, and it was a big deal to get to carry uh, one, of, one of those. I remember heading out, uh, it just popped into my mind, which is not a, a safe thing for me to do, just say what comes into my mind, but I remember leaving, backing out of the driveway, uh, headed to um, Bible school commencement, and yeah, I shouldn't have started down this road, but I, our pet was lying lifeless there in the yard, and Dad said he was just asleep, but he wasn't. That's a bad memory from Bible school that just came back, and I shared that for all of you to hear. I'm not sure exactly why I did that, but... So, um, back to Bible school, and Onward Christian Soldiers. That hymn, let me get off that story real quickly. That hymn's not popular anymore. Very, it's, it's not nearly as popular as it used to be. In fact, a lot of people find it controversial. It seems to some that hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, because remember it says, Onward Christian Soldiers Marching as to War, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Uh, it, to some it sounds uh, militant. But as long as we are clear that we're not mad and we're not warmongers. That seems like a, an appropriate hymn for a number of reasons. One, it reminds us that we're part of a movement, a cause that's bigger than any one of us. It reminds us that, um, that our, the banner under which we march is the cross. It, it reminds us that there is a battle, a real live, genuine, bona fide battle taking place in the unseen world. The Bible calls it the heavenly places. That there's a, there's a battle in a world that unseen, invisible to the human eye, but as real as the room in which we sit, as real as the room from which you are watching this. It, there's this real live battle between good and evil. And there is an enemy. There is an, there is an enemy with a capital E. The evil one goes by names like Beelzebub and the prince of darkness. He is the devil, he is Satan, he is the, the roaring lion that wanders the world seeking whom he may devour. There is, it's a good song. It reminds us of this battle that we are part of. It reminds us of an enemy, but let's be real clear right before we get, or before we get too deep into this, let's remember who the enemy is not. A pastor, a friend of mine, uh, a couple of weeks ago, sent me a link to a sermon that Andy Stanley over in Atlanta had preached, and the title of the sermon was Not, Not In It To Win It, and he talked about culture war Christianity. I wish I could show this to you. Just listen carefully to what he said. Culture war Christianity is a version of Christianity that is consumed with winning. 
A version of Christianity that sees itself constantly under attack and feels the need to attack back. He continued, culture war Christianity sets the church up to be a tool of politicians rather than the conscience of the nation. This version defines itself by what it is against, and it's a version that always sees the church as under attack by the government and secularism. The church comes across as more concerned with winning than loving. It's fueled by the fear of losing something. It does not represent the Jesus version of our faith. I believe Stanley is right. Let's remember who the enemy is not. It's easy to forget who the enemy is not. Even Jesus' close friends in his day forgot who the enemy is not. Luke 9 says they were headed to Jerusalem. They were headed to the cross. Jesus had set his face, uh, the King James Version says, like flint toward Jerusalem. He was headed toward the greatest showdown between good and evil in history, which would happen at the death of Jesus, between that and the resurrection of Jesus. So he's headed to that. They stopped at a Samaritan village, and Luke 9 says the people in the Samaritan village did not welcome Jesus. And James and John were so mad at those people, they said, Jesus, do you want us to call down lightning from heaven on this village? And Jesus, the Bible says, rebuked them. You can almost hear him saying, guys, these people are not the enemy. Not long after that, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was there praying with his friends. You remember, Judas showed up with the, the soldiers of, under the, the, the regiment of the high priest showed up to arrest Jesus. Peter got so mad, he took his sword out and he swung it at a man named Malchus and cut off his ear. And Jesus told Peter, put your sword away and he healed Malchus's ear. And you can almost hear Jesus say, Peter, these guys, are not the enemy. Let, let's be clear. Our Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of, the, of evil in the heavenly realms. Our, our, our enemy is the evil one with a capital E and a capital O and his forces. Not, our, our enemy is not... Antifa on the left or the alt-right on the right. Our enemy is not the Democrats or the Republicans. Our enemy is not the staff of Planned Parenthood. Our enemy is not those people who pick at us every once in a while because we're not pro-life enough. Our enemy is not Hollywood. Our enemy is not the Supreme Court. Our enemy is the evil one, and there is a real battle, and we are participants in that. Jesus' friends... I think always have had a tendency to forget who the enemy is, but there is an enemy, an unhuman, very real being, and we are part of a battle that's been going on since before the heavens and the earth. And we are soldiers in, uh, in this battle. And so what Chuck read a while ago said that good soldiers endure hardships, please their commanding officers, and do not get entangled in civilian life. Let's talk about those three. First, good soldiers are expected to endure hardships. Thomas Ricks is a, a military analyst. He uh, has written about the Marine Corps, and he talks about the 70s when the Marines, he says, were at a low point. He said that morale was low, they had a hard time recruiting, but Marines have, have 
bounced back, he said, and the reason for their recovery from that low point is, he said, the change in their philosophy of recruiting. If you watch Marine ads, recruiting ads on TV, they will scare you to death. You know, they show people running through cities where their bombs going off, people shooting at them. They, they show a man who climbs this mountain, this impossible mountain, and fights this monster at the top of the mountain, and then grabs the sword. The, you know, it, it tells you it's a big deal to be a Marine, but not, every, not everybody's cut out to be a Marine. Jesus would have been a good recruiter for the Marine Corps. He was always saying things like, count the cost before you follow me. If you're going to follow me, you'll have to take up your cross, which is a symbol of death, to follow me. To one man who said, I want to follow you, Jesus said, now you need to know that I don't even sometimes don't even have a place to lay my head at night. Christians are expected to endure hardships. There are parts of the world today where, I mean, this very morning, there are people imprisoned because of, the, of their decision to openly follow Jesus. Following Jesus in many parts of the world results in being ostracized. It it, it results in being kicked out of the family or losing your job or being in prison. And there are people in some parts of the world who lose their very lives over openly following Jesus. Let's be honest, it's it's not like that here, but it is costly. It might result in a student sitting alone in the in the cafeteria at school. It might result in a a worker sitting alone in the break room at the office. It might result in being labeled a Puritan or a misfit or a prude or stick in the mud. It might, it might mean losing a relationship. It is a sacrifice financially to be faithful. It, if we're not suffering something, if there's not some kind of hardship, we're probably not following Jesus closely enough. So God inspired Paul to write to Timothy Endure, hard, endure hardship like a good soldier. Second, he said, a good soldier pleases his commanding officer. So in, uh, in the military, and I've not been in the military, but I do know that um, you know, protocol is important and chain of command is important. So with all the things that are pressing in on any soldier, any young man or young woman, he or she has got to please uh, the commanding officer. Leonard Sweet is a, um, a popular Christian writer and speaker. He, he, he writes that one day he was sitting, sitting on the front row of an auditorium. It was almost his turn to speak when the organizer of the event came and sat next to him and he said, Leonard, I need to hear from you right now. The organizer said to Leonard Sweet, I was just told that you and your wife are about to split up and you're about to move in with another woman. Is that true? Leonard Sweet said, I told him, no, my wife and I are very much in love. I don't know where that came from. That's not true. The organizer said, well, that's good enough for me. You, you go on and speak. Well, he walked up, but he was, he was shaken. He was deeply shaken by that accusation. He said, as I walked toward the, the platform, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out of, in his wallet, he pulled out a card that he always carried. The card was black, the lettering on the card was in gold. And he put, the, he put the card down right by his notes from which he would speak. There were two words, he said he always carried it around, two words in his wallet, or two words on that card in his wallet. The words please 
and the, the word please and the word God. And between those two words, if you can picture it in your mind, please and God, and in between them was a comma. But the comma had an X over it. So please, God, in the middle is a comma, and there's an X over the comma. And he said, my, my goal in life was to get rid of the comma, because think, that changes, that changes the meaning of, of the two words. Please, comma, God says, please, God, there are things I want, these things I believe I need. Please, God. But without the comma, it's please, God. It's with all the pressures and all the things that we would like, it is to please our commanding officer. He said, my goal in life has been to get rid of the comma. He, he said, now, by nature, I am a people pleaser, and lots of us are. He said, I'm like a little puppy dog that likes it when you rub my head and tell me, uh, I like it when people rub my head and tell me what a good boy I am. But he said this, listen, who do you want to please the most? If it is God, then you can survive whatever is thrown at you. If it's people, then you can count on betrayal, loneliness, mistrust, and failure. So who is our audience? Who is the audience to which we are playing? God inspired Paul to write to Timothy that good soldiers endure hardships and instead of trying to please everybody else, please the commanding officer. Third thing he said was, a good soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs. I want you to imagine uh, a scene with me. So the, the lieutenant says to the guys, all right guys, let's roll. And one of the soldiers says, Hey, Lieutenant, I'm going to have to beg out. Uh, I've got a Zoom call in about an hour with my financial advisor. I, I've not been in the military, but I do not imagine that conversation ending well. But with all the things going on, a soldier cannot get entangled in civilian affairs. Of course, in, in this text, civilian affairs would represent those things that are that are immoral and unethical, those situations and, and relationships that we ought not be part of. But let's be real clear about a couple of things. Number one, the Christian faith is not about rules. It's not about do's and don'ts. The Christian faith is about a relationship with God through Jesus. It is not primarily about do's and don'ts. There are boundaries. We'll talk about that. But it is not, the Christian faith is not primarily a list of do's and don'ts. The second thing, when he says don't get entangled in civilian affairs, does not mean that we are to completely cut ourselves off from everything that's not Christian. In fact, I would suggest that's part of our problem in Christian America is that we have built a bubble and we are not as much involved in the rest of the world as we should be. Remember, Jesus said we are to be in the world, not of the world. Some of us have just withdrawn from the world. So to not get entangled in civilian affairs does not mean that we're to cut ourselves off from situations and people who are outside the Christian bubble. It does mean that there are boundaries. And if we get entangled, and that's the key word, if we get entangled, then we're in big trouble. Maybe this will help. There's the legend of a man standing. If you can imagine, this is a cliff. A man standing on the top of the cliff. The river is running through the canyon beneath. And he notices a carcass that is floating down the river, the dead body of an animal. The closer it gets, he realizes it's a sheep. 
Sitting atop that carcass, that sheep's carcass, is an eagle eating the flesh of this carcass, this dead animal. So the eagle is floating on the carcass down the river eating. You might call that a dinner cruise, I guess. So he's, he, the eagle, and I do appreciate that laughter. The, so the eagle is, is floating down the river eating. But ahead, he said, up here is a tall waterfall. So if, if the eagle goes off that waterfall on that carcass, the eagle's in big trouble. But the man watching knows that God has given these eagles instinct. They're smart. So, so the, the, the guy watching is just watching things unfold. He's assuming what is going to happen is the eagle is going to eat until he gets near the waterfall and then he'll fly away. And that's exactly uh, what happened. So the eagle, sensing the waterfall was near, knowing the danger of the waterfall, the eagle spreads his wings. He spreads those mighty pinions and he flaps, flaps them to leave, to fly away, to escape the danger of the waterfall. But nothing happens. His pinions, his, excuse me, his talons, his claws are entangled in the wool of the carcass. So he flaps his wings and nothing happens and he flaps and nothing happens and he can't fly. And they're getting closer to the waterfall and he can't fly and they reach the edge and they plunge over the waterfall. The eagle dies along with his talons entangled in the wool because he couldn't He'd gotten himself entangled and he couldn't get away. So, so someone experiments with, whether it be alcohol or marijuana, just experimenting. And, and for some, for some it, it devolves into, a, it becomes a gateway into, into a life-altering addiction. Just it started so innocently, became people become entangled, or or, a, or an innocent flirtation at work. Nothing harmful intended. We just we're just kind of flirting. But then they become entangled emotionally, and then entangled physically, and then there are two two homes that are ruined. Or someone at the, the, the end of the year financial report, you know, and just a little stretch of the truth here. And then another lie has to cover up that one, and then more lies to cover up those, and, and, and suddenly someone has lost his or her career because they got in, entangled. There are boundaries. There are ethical and moral boundaries. The Christian faith is not a list of do's and don'ts, and we're not supposed to cut ourselves off from the world, but we have to live carefully because it is so easy for even really good people to become entangled with a step that be, began perhaps innocently. It is so easy for even good people to become entangled and to go over the waterfall. But Travis, I've already gone over the waterfall. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm watching. Well, I've got good news for those at the bottom of the waterfall. 2 Samuel twenty two seventeen says, He reached down from on high, and He pulled me out of the deep water. Isn't that a beautiful image? 
At the bottom of the waterfall, the rocks are sharp and the water is turbulent and people can drown easily at the bottom of the waterfall. And so he, 2 Samuel twenty two seventeen, he reached down from on high into the deep water and he pulled me, he pulled me out because even though the rocks are sharp at the bottom of the waterfall, even though the turbulence is such that it will suck you under, at the bottom of the waterfall, there is also grace, God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. Even in the depths, and even when the rocks are sharp, and even when it's so deep it is dark, there is still grace there. And you might always bear the scars of the waterfall, and you might always bear bad memories of the waterfall, but He will reach down if you will let Him into the, even the depths and pull you out of the waters at the bottom of the waterfall, there is grace even, even there. And so God inspired Paul to write to Timothy that good soldiers endure hardships and kind of expect it. That, that good soldiers please their commanding officers, even though we all are like little puppy dogs, want to be told what good boys and girls we are. Our ultimate goal has to be to please our commanding officer. And then, then third, good soldiers don't get entangled in civilian affairs. But back to the image of the, of the battle. <clears throat> there is a real battle in the, the so-called heavenly realms, older than time itself. But the battle gets hard sometimes. And so in your spirit, I know and I sense it too, sometimes you know you, you just get tired. The, the temptations that come your way and the, and the distractions that come your way. And those times in your spirit when you feel like this is, this is, an, this is evil, this is an attack of the, of the devil and his forces. Sometimes in your spirit you just feel that way. Do you remember the, that song I called your attention to? And when the strife is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear. It's a poetic way of saying it comes to our ears, the distant, the dist, out in the distance, the distant triumph song. And hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. If you listen real carefully, out in the future, and I don't know how far out that is, but at some point in the future, if you listen, you can hear, you can hear the song that signals the battle is over. And the evil one and his forces have gone down. You and I as followers of Jesus doesn't make us better than other folks, but it does put us on the winning side. So don't give up, fight on. You really are if your hope is in Jesus and not in your goodness. Your hope, your hope is in the winning general and you are on the winning side. And after 
Uh, Esther plays for our reflection and after our closing prayer. I'm going to wait down front for those who might want to talk about what it means to know Jesus. I'd love to talk with you about that. To talk with you about being a part of our church family, I'd love to talk with you about that. And as others are leaving, I will wait on you right down here.